Welcome to the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Kevin Clark. Joining me on the other line is Robert Mays. Robert, it's the final week of the NFL season. Everything's happening, including Jeff Fisher calling into a radio station saying he left the Rams in good shape. But more importantly, are you pumped for the playoffs? I am. It's that time of year, man. There's a lot of stuff to do. There's a lot of stuff to be thinking about. I know you and I will be kind of jet-setting around for a little while here as we get ready to cover these playoffs. It's it's good. I like it. I, I enjoy this stretch of the calendar, even though it, it seems like there's a million different things happening. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the beauty of Sunday, and we'll get to that in a second. But there are some things that we still have to sort out before the playoffs. We're going to talk through all of the storylines through Sunday. And I, if you don't know... The NFL canceled Sunday Night Football this Sunday and put all of the potential playoff teams on at the 4 p.m. Eastern window, which is going to create this just perfect storm of chaos and incompetence. And and like you're going to see things that, that, that you, you haven't seen in a long time. And I'm really excited for it. Uh, Danny Kelly was also going to join us for his final fantasy football segment of the season to give you some Dark Knight future picks. We're going to be looking ahead. So that sounds good. And I, I want to talk about this Sunday thing before we get into the start of the show, though. I It okay. just puts such a weird wrench into like how I... Just a little bit behind the curtain. Like, I have to write about this for Monday. It's New Year's Eve. So I kind of have to find a way to be somewhere to watch these games that I can be at without it like bleeding into a New Year's Eve situation at that bar. Sure. So I don't know what I'm going to do. It's the. Do you have a TV in your home, Robert? Yes, but I like to be able to watch all the games. This is my deal. What about Sunday ticket? Using promo code Ringer NFL. See, I I usually do that for the afternoon games when there's only three or four, but now that there are seven afternoon games, I feel like I'm gonna be missing out on something if I just watch the couple TVs in my living room. So negotiating Sunday and like where I have to be and what closes when is going to be a fascinating problem. It's one I've never run into before. Having week sixteen and seventeen be on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve is literally the worst possible way it can fall. So when everyone's going through their playoff scenarios and refreshing their playoff pictures and wondering what happens if the Chargers win and the and the Bills lose and the Ravens lose, I want you to think about all the scenarios going through Robert Mays' mind about how to navigate getting to a bar and watching all the games on Sunday because that's the real playoff scenario. You know, conundrum. it's just another wrinkle to throw into what should be a very fascinating day. So I'm glad people are going to keep me in their thoughts because I'm the one that's really, I, I have something at stake. You know, so they, they do this in the Premier League. They have all of the final games of the season at the same time. And sometimes it's it's sort of anticlimactic and sometimes you just get some of the best finishes in the world. And I could see, I mean, if all all of the games are close and they could be, and I, you know what I'm talking I'm talking about, you know, Ravens, uh, Bills, Chargers, Titans. If all of those games are close going into the fourth quarter, you're going to see one of the most fun NFL Sundays we've seen in a long time. I wrote on the ringer today, Friday, you know, one of my favorite moments of the last 20 years, probably was that Nate Poole catch for Arizona against Minnesota that knocked Minnesota out of the playoffs and put the Packers into the playoffs. That needs to happen all the time. And the reason that happened is because both teams were playing on Sunday afternoon and it simultaneously happened. I think I understand why the NFL 
usually puts a Sunday night game sort of winner in game uh, on the slate. But I think that everybody playing all at once creates drama that you cannot get anywhere else. Well, there's just too many scenarios in the AFC, especially to do that. I mean, the only way yeah. you could do that is if you made one of the Seattle, Arizona, like maybe Atlanta, Carolina on Sunday night. But even that is there's too many scenarios for seating and things like that to do it. So I, I feel like this is the right move, because if you put Carolina on Sunday night and New Orleans happened to win, then Carolina would have nothing to play for. I mean, this is the way to make sure that everyone still has something at stake. I get why they're doing it. It just, like you said, sets it up for some ridiculous chaos. I'm fired up. All right. So we're going to do our favorite four this week. We're doing our favorite four storylines, not matchups. Week too many games because I think, I think we understand what matchups matter. Robert, get us started. So let's start with the AFC. I mean, I think that's the number one thing. I think the scoreboard watching that's going to go on in the AFC will be the biggest story about Sunday. You know, we have those four teams that are still lingering based on who wins, who loses. So I think that that's what's going to be most important because I do believe that there are a couple AFC playoff scenarios like we've discussed in the past couple weeks here where the wildcard teams that get in could pose a threat to kind of the big boys in that conference. So obviously, if the Ravens get in, they're in. The Ravens get in. If yep. Buffalo loses, the Ravens get in. If Tennessee loses. So if the Titans lose, the Titans are really the biggest domino to fall here, because if the Titans lose and and the, they have they have the, they have the toughest opponent, they have the toughest opponent, and we're going to get to rest in the idea of it a little bit later here, but that's going to play a factor in this week. So if the Titans lose and the Chargers win, the Chargers are in. So and if the Titans lose and the the Ravens are in. So the Titans are really kind of the biggest thing here. If that game and the which way it goes will have the most to say about who's going to get in, because most likely the Chargers and the Ravens are going to win their respective matchups. Maybe not. You know, the Oakland played well against the Eagles last week, but I still feel like the Chargers with their playoff hopes on the line, with their playoff lives on the line, will go will beat the yeah, Ravens. I mean- I guess, but I got to say, the reason all these teams are here is because they've been remarkably inconsistent. I'm not ready That's to bet fair. that they're going to win anything. Yeah, you're right. I, I Trust me. I, watching that Chargers-Jets game last week, I was like, guys, really? We're going to do this? <laughs> I mean, it, listen, if, if these teams could win when their backs were against the wall, they wouldn't be in the situation. I mean, the freaking Titans have lost to the Cardinals three weeks ago. Well, the Titans aren't very good. I think that's the biggest that, issue That's there. true. No, I mean, obviously, they're backing into the playoffs here. If they if they make the playoffs, that's a remarkable feat of of luck and, uh, you know, a, uh, shows you how weak the AFC is. And I, I, at one point, I thought they were a playoff team, but I, haven't they lost three straight? Who? The Titans? The Titans, yeah. Yeah, the Titans do not deserve to be in. I mean, they, they really have. The, here's the thing about the Chargers, though. The only games the Chargers have lost since week two were against the Chiefs when they were rolling, the Eagles, the Patriots, the Jaguars on the road in overtime, the Chiefs at on the road last week. Those are the only games the Chargers have lost. So it's not as if they're the te- a team that has not beaten teams they should. You know, the only games they've lost are, the, are to Kansas City and really good teams. So I, I feel like you know this is a situation where they beat the Raiders already. This is at home. I, this is not going on the road to KC like it was two weeks ago. This is a much different scenario. I don't know what the hell is going on in Oakland right now. I have no idea. Every time I click on a different coaching carousel story by like Albert Breer or like Mike Florio, they have a different take on what's about to happen with the Raiders. Florio had that Del Rio is only 50-50 to come back. And no one no one talked about that after he posted that. And I, I think we should probably, that would stun me. But here we are. Todd Downing's probably going to get fired. 
Most likely. Mike Tice rumblings. I don't understand why you'd fire Mike Tice. I mean, the offensive line is not the problem. No, there. no, I don't think you but, are. I, I, the rumor is that he's a he's a he's a, a divisive figure in the locker room. I think that he's under contract for a while. Yeah, I think that Todd Downing probably goes. I mean, that offense has been not nearly what it needs to be, considering the talent there. And that scheme, that scheme is just not conducive to success. I mean, really for anyone, let alone a, a team without much talent on it. So I wouldn't be surprised if there were some significant changes there. I feel like there probably should be, but. If you just kind of you're watching these games, I mean, are you still in the boat that you think the Chargers and the Ravens would make for the most interesting playoffs? You know, that's that's an interesting question. Yes, probably. I do, I don't think Buffalo is there for me yet. I just I just don't I don't, I just don't see it. I mean, it, yeah, yeah. I I, I don't want to see them. I think the Nathan Peterman thing. It's significantly funnier if. That is what cost them the playoffs because I don't think anyone was thinking about that at that point. We're all about comedy on this show. Well, yeah, it's a, it's yeah, exactly. We're, this is a Nathan Peterman was the ultimate bit, and it was really funny. And the fact that it's probably going to cost them a playoff spot is is hysterical. So my only concern is I don't want to see the Jaguars and the Titans play two straight weeks. No, God, that'd be terrible. Well, that's good, probably going to happen. Yeah, I would not want that. I'd rather have Casey and Tennessee and then Baltimore and Jacksonville, but I don't think that's very likely at this point. Baltimore's got Cincinnati. Hey, is doing it for Marvin Lewis if this is his last game, and I think it is, does that involve winning or losing? Like, what's the tribute to Marvin Lewis in that spot? I think it would be them somehow sneaking into the playoffs miraculously. Wild card and losing. And then losing in the wild card round. Yeah. Scoring scoring eight points next week in the wild card game. They should let... They should let Marvin Lewis coach a wildcard team next week as his going away present. They should let him coach the Titans. The only way the Ravens would play the Jags and the Titans would play the Chiefs is if the Titans won and the Ravens lost to Cincinnati, yeah. which is not out of the question. I mean, that could happen. I don't think it Again, will happen. Again, none of these teams, if, if, if you could rely on any of these teams, they would not be trying to sneak into the playoffs at 9-7. and seven. Yeah, and the Bengals aren't like a terrible team. The Bengals aren't good. But, you know, they're not it's, like, it's not it's not as if they're playing the Colts or the Browns the, or the Browns. Yeah. So that but for that to yeah. happen, actually, Buffalo would have to lose. If, right. If the Ravens and win, they could, if, if they the could. Ravens win and Buffalo wins then Buffalo is in. So most likely this scenario, if, we, if the Ravens get in, they're playing Kansas City and we're going to see the five seed play Jacksonville or the so, six seed. Excuse me. I can't tell you're you're more of a Jay Cutlerologist than I am. Is Jay Cutler in week 17 on a week where he can't stop talking about how many Marriott points he has? Is he dangerous or is he just going to pack it I in? I think he's kind of dangerous. I honestly do. Yeah, me yeah. too. I, I think he's way more dangerous when he doesn't care than when he when he does. Did you see that photo of him from Kristen Cavallari's Snapchat? I did. I did. He was just uh, pounding on a turkey leg. I, what, was that a turkey leg? It looked like some sort of, I don't know. It, it was a large bone it looked and like a piece of meat. It looked like one of those turkey legs that you get at like a fair. It could have been that. It looked like a bone on steak maybe. I, I didn't. I couldn't tell what it was because most of it was gnawed off. Jay was really going after whatever that was. And he had a bottle of mustard on his chest. <laughs> so, so clearly he's just pouring mustard on the piece of meat and then taking rips off of it from the bone, which good for you, Jay. I mean, with that beard he's got rocking right now, he's just really living it up. I'm proud of him. This is great. We didn't get to, because he was injured last year. We didn't get to properly celebrate the Jay Cutler experience, but it's, I, so it's wonderful to see him not care for all the world to see this week. It's beautiful. He didn't move out of his hotel. Why would he? 
<laughs> I mean, why would he? Why would he care? He knows he's going to be there for a year. He's got ten million dollars to throw around. I don't know if he's. I don't know if he's in the Dolphins, the, the hotel, all the Dolphins stay in when they have to do business. But I've stayed in the hotel. It's okay, but I mean, I could. I it, you're in South Florida. There are better I, you know, options. There's, you know, there's houses to rent and stuff. I don't know if you've been to South Florida. It's a very nice place. Yeah, I have been there. Yeah, I mean, there, you could probably do a little bit better than the hotel, but that would make Jay think. And why would Jay think? It's unnecessary. Well, he's, he's got his hands full with the mustard and the meat and all that stuff. So he I don't know what to tell you. He has two children, so I'm not sure how well they do in the hotel. More questions and answers coming from the Jay Cutler experience this week. The only thing that has me asking more questions than that that came up this week is definitely the Baron Davis, Laura Dern thing. But in the number two slot yeah, is that's, what that's is Jay Cutler's living that's situation? a different pod. Amazingly, this is the only pod where that doesn't come up. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to talk about that. On the ringer. Oh, we have like a hundred podcasts and all of them have Dern Davis segments probably, except this one. So listen to the NBA show. Listen to, to Juliet and Amanda. Probably Bill's probably got something with Francesa. So uh, is there any other AFC scenario that we haven't really touched on here? I mean, pretty simply. So here's my question. Of these teams, which one do you think has the biggest capability to win a playoff game or even sort of threaten to make a run and 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 get is, is there anybody in your mind who if they go into Pittsburgh might give Pittsburgh a game or even New England might give New England a game or and and, and you know obviously win their divisional game is there anybody you say ooh might be a little dangerous here uh, I think it's probably I mean I, I think it's the same two teams we talked about I feel like Baltimore can do it with the defense their defense is good enough and they've shown enough life on offense in, over the last month where you could see for four quarters them putting it all together. And then I think the Chargers have enough talent to do it. I mean, I think those are the yeah. two teams that could scare them. I don't know if either will win, but I do think those would be the two best games. And in my mind, that's why I want to see those teams in the playoffs because not only do I think they could win a game, I think they could make a push to win two. I don't know if they would, but I think that would give us the best shot for just some sort of uncertainty to get rid of the chalk in the AFC. We're not that far removed sure. from the Chargers playing the Patriots really tough. I just think yep. those are the best two options on the board. So of these four teams, John Harbaugh has is the best coach. And of these four teams, Phillip Rivers is the best quarterback. And I know it's simplicity and all that. And I know I don't want to oversimplify, but sometimes this can be a simple game. Coaching and quarterbacking matters. And if you've got either of those two things, I think you've got a chance. Do I think any of these teams are going to the AFC championship game? No, but I do know that I don't think New England or Pittsburgh wants to see either of those teams. I think they'd be much happier to see Jacksonville or I guess Kansas City, right? If you if you were New England, would you rather see Kansas City or the Ravens and Chargers? I mean, I I, I know that Kansas City pasted them. In I'd week still one, rather but it's I'd a still very rather different... see the Ravens than the Chiefs if I was New England. What about the Chargers? I'd still rather see the Chargers. I think Jacksonville. I'd that rather see happen. all those. I'd rather see all those other teams than Jacksonville. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, that that's Jacksonville scares the hell out of me if I'm one of those teams just because great defenses just just screw with you. So it, for a while, it seemed like the simplest it, the, for the Chargers, it was simple. Like if the Titans lost this game and the Bills the, and the Chargers won, the Chargers were in just for, for, by virtue of the head to head with Buffalo. But that would require ba- Baltimore to win as well. 
and for the, just because they, you need the Baltimore to be 10 and 6 in order to avoid three-way ties and craziness. So there's a lot of stuff in play here. I mean, you can go look it up all online. I mean, it's the, the playoff machine is your friend, but it's sometimes too complicated for me to understand. The playoff machine is like a top five thing in my life right now. Yeah, I spent a lot of time there. Unfortunately, it's t- it speaks to the sadness in my life. Can you look forward to a day when the Bears are just a team you can even click on? Yeah, it'd be great. Maybe next year, man. Who knows? I- I'm really hoping for that Rams-esque turnaround. Jeff Fisher? Yep, he's the one to do it, clearly. Um. All right, so should we move on to NFC? Let's get to the NFC. Okay, pretty simple scenario here. It comes down to Atlanta and Seattle. If Atlanta wins, they're in. If Seattle wins and Atlanta loses, they're in. I think this is way more intriguing, Maze, because I think both these teams, maybe it's just because they're bold-faced names and they've had so much success, especially over the past year um, or in the case of the Seahawks the last four years. But when we're looking at the AFC, we're looking at a bunch of teams who maybe aren't as scary as they could be. I mean, I don't think anybody wants to see Atlanta or really Seattle. Um, I, I would probably rather see Seattle, but uh, what, what, how do you handicap this? That's where I'm at. I think the exact tone and words you used is where I sit with this. I would probably just run it back. Just run it Seattle. back. Just, just, just have Isaac just take what I said and just double it. I would probably rather see Seattle, but again, you know, they have enough talent just on the rest of that roster that you would worry. I mean, just that team, it's like what they did last week against Dallas. You know, you're trying to figure out, all right, what can we do because we don't have our full stable of guys defensively to create yeah. some problems? And then you just have them use slot blitzes for the entire game and crush Dak Prescott for four straight quarters. I mean, they have always found a way, except without Earl Thomas. That's really the only thing they haven't been able to overcome. And yeah. he's there now. Bobby Wagner looked much better this week after really struggling with that hamstring a week earlier. I just think that right now they have enough talent and can assemble a plan to be an issue. And then on offense, you just have to figure the Russell Wilson factor. I mean, it, that offense is not frightening on a play-to-play basis. But every five plays, they get very scary. So that's the Seattle formula. For Atlanta, You just it's kind of the same deal. The players and the roster give you pause if you're a team that has to play them. You still have Julio, who had another great game on Sunday against New Orleans. That offense looks at times like they have no idea what they're doing, but there are still moments where you have Freeman, Julio, Tevin Coleman doing something, and Matt Ryan is still a pretty decent quarterback where they can put it together. Defensively, they have enough. It's weird because Atlanta's defense is kind of like Russell Wilson's offense in the sense that they have such dynamic players like a handful of them that they can make game-changing plays at any moment you know Deion Jones is going to make that pick in the end zone like he did against New Orleans Ken O'Neill is going to cause a fumble on a flat and on a throw into the flat at some point so that's kind of the it's interesting so you have the one side of the ball is you know pretty good all around they're going to be something you can rely on and then the other side of the ball they just have these players that can really make a difference on a single game-changing play so I think that the formula is not dissimilar. I just feel a little bit better about Atlantis. I think that, you know, it's twofold here with Seattle, in my opinion. Obviously, if they had Chancellor and Sherman, they're a Super Bowl contender. Having said that, if they had Chancellor and Sherman, they would not be in this position. So it's sort of True. foolhardy to argue. Um, I think there's something 
vaguely magical um, when you look at the Seahawks because I think you know there's so many rumblings about how this could be their, their you know their last ride um, and that so you know the defense might have to break up um, after this year. Maybe the Legion of Boom is is a thing of the past, and I think that you're going to see guys who just ball the hell out. I, yeah. I, I think there's going to be some of that. Um, but having said that again, I mean, Atlanta had the most efficient offense basically in the history of the league last year. It's not what it was, but they still have the capability to put up 30 on you pretty quickly. And so if I'm the Rams and I haven't played a playoff game in a long time, I'd be scared as hell at seeing a team who who, who romped through the NFC last year. Oh, that's the thing, right? It depends on which team ends up being the three seed. So if the we'll talk about this a little bit when we talk about who's resting, and who's not, but if the saints win and the Rams lose, it changes which team you'd rather see. If I'm the Rams, I want the Seahawks, man. I, I've just crushed them. And I feel like you have a pretty yep. good game plan against them. If I'm the saints, yep. I want the, oh, excuse me. If I'm the Rams, I want to see yeah. No, well, I guess like, no, that's yeah. a good point. So I guess both teams want the Seahawks because the Orleans does not want to play Atlanta. I mean, both of those games have been extremely uh, yeah. close. I mean, that game they played last week in New Orleans, Atlanta absolutely could have won that game. That's a butt interception and goal line fumble from Devontae Freeman for being a very close game. So, And they, they beat New Orleans already this season. I know they didn't have Kamara, but they still played extremely well. I think that with Jones and Keanu Neal, they weirdly have two players that attack space and open space so well that they're kind of a bad matchup for the Saints, if that makes any sense. Like their defense has played really well against New Orleans both times they played against them. Even with Kamara last week, the Saints weren't marching up and down the field. So I think both teams would probably rather play Seattle. So here's my question. It, it goes beyond this. Would you be more scared if you're L.A. or New Orleans of either of the two teams who are getting in the wild card, uh, the sixth seed here with Atlanta and Seattle, or Carolina? Would you rather see Carolina than those two teams? I don't think so. It's tough. I don't know. The Carolina passing game last week really frightened me. I think that against that Buccaneers team, they should have been so much better, and they looked out of sorts. It was the same kind of Cam takes a five-step drop on third and three and tries to fit a ball yep. 20 yards down the field between two guys. I just Christian McCaffrey was MIA. I mean, it's amazing yep. that they're running these plays where McCaffrey split out wide on third and four. And Cam is dropping back like it's third and 11. I just don't understand how we can't have a selection of plays in the playbook where McCaffrey lines up in the backfield. You run angle routes and option routes. Yep. Totally agree. I don't know. I I know this is not incredible analysis here. I don't know what the hell to think about the NFC. No, I I I really don't. Anything. I mean, I think that we know for a fact, not a fact, but pretty close to it in the AFC we're going to see a fairly epic matchup barring barring Bortles balling out which is is possible in one of these games and you know the Jaguars winning 17 to 10 but i think we're pretty much headed we know what we're headed towards in the AFC with New England and Pittsburgh in the NFC legitimately i would not be shocked if if Atlanta makes the NFC championship game i wouldn't be shocked if Carolina makes the super bowl i mean it's this, this happens and at the Wentz injury Threw a wrench in the NFC playoffs. I mean, bigger than anything. I mean, I think the Derek Carr injury last year with Oakland was sort of like this, where it just removes a Super Bowl contender, you know, a couple weeks before the playoffs start and it changes everything. 
So let's get into this because I wanted to talk about what like the rest effect this week and just kind of the impact yeah. that it'll have overall. And I feel like that kind of starts in Philly in a strange way because Sean McVay came out this week and said he's sitting his guys. You know, Whitworth, yep. Donald, Goff, Gurley, all of them are going to sit. So one of the reasons that that feels okay is that even if the Rams have the three seed to play for, if they lose and New Orleans wins, that means if the Rams can beat Carolina at home, they go to Philadelphia. And yeah. the, obviously the the Saints would have to win for that to happen, but they would go to Philadelphia. So, which has become much more attractive than having to go to Minnesota. So it's just one of those things where now there's so many moving pieces with seating and everything else that I'm just not sure how it's all going to fall, where they want it to. I really don't know. You're not going to get any answers here, buddy. I mean, all, all I know is I need. All them. I know is you want to be going in to Philadelphia instead of going into Minnesota. Yes. I don't know if you could improve in Minnesota if you had Sam Bradford this year. Okay. But because it's Case Keenum, we've all just collectively slept on the Vikings and we don't realize I have all we haven't talked I promise you that. Okay. But I'm saying as a as a footballing nation. Uh, agreed. No I one totally cares agree. about the Vikings. If they were if they were quarterbacked by by Sam Bradford or if Teddy Bridgewater had come in and given the exact same level of play, we'd be taking them much more seriously. This is a, it is a, in a weird way, it, the league has the exact opposite view of the fans in this regard. Fans view this as a reputation league. They look at the quarterbacks, they look at the coaches, and I think, you know, we're, we're all guilty of this. And they say, okay, this team's going to win because of XYZ. Whereas the league really doesn't care about reputation and, 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 really moves on from guys quickly or, or whatever. And so I, I think that we look at Minnesota and we say Case Keenum and we write them off. I mean, I, I would peg Minnesota as the pretty much the heavy favorites to make the Super Bowl out of the NFC at this point, just because of how complete a team they are. That's tough for me. I, I, I could easily say that. I think Minnesota is really good. I do think that they have few weaknesses right now. I also think the same about the Rams. And I think the same thing about the Saints. I feel like all three of those teams have very easily traceable paths to the Super Bowl. And I think it's really close. I, I want the Saints to w- win the Super Bowl because of the argument we had last August in which we argued whether or not the Saints could win the Super Bowl, which we could dig out of the archives. Yeah, I didn't, I did not consider them one of the teams that can make it. I did not support the p- defensive turnaround this fast, which is a whole different conversation. I wrote about it earlier this year. I mean, we are living in the era of where you can just be a contender in a single offseason. That's possible now because of a lot of different factors. I mean, I think that you know, trades are, have never existed to this degree. I mean, this the way that you can sign free agents. I mean, it, how quickly rookies are playing. I mean, there are so many things that go into this right now, and the Saints hit on every single one of those things. Yep. So I mean, that's that, that's it. And, and, yeah, exactly. And you only need if you've got an offense like they have. There were only a couple of breaks they needed on defense, and they were instant contenders. And and that's that was why I wasn't surprised, is because it's almost law of averages. We joked we joked about the Saints' defense over the summer. Haven't they been like above thirtieth for like four or five of the last six seasons? Or it's whatever? been incredible. Yeah, it's been a remarkable run of incompetence in this era of crappy defenses and stuff. It's almost the law of averages that at some point you will not be 
32nd in the NFL. Like at some point, you're just going to find two guys and they're going to be better than the guys before at cornerback or defensive tackle. And that's exactly what happened. And they're going to be able to figure it out. And I knew at some point that was going to happen. And once it happened, the Saints would be contenders again. I mean, the analogy I made earlier in the year still stands. It's it's the Broncos in the mid-90s. Um, John Elway, we forget about it now, had a, a run of pretty uh, mediocre teams in Denver in the mid-90s. Terrell Davis comes in, the defense gets bolstered, and all of a sudden they win two straight Super Bowls. I'm not saying Breeze is going to win two straight Super Bowls, but what I am saying is, is that when you build a team around a great quarterback, there's you don't have to worry about the quarterback. And, and that's the biggest thing in sports. And so it's just uh, – it, it always made sense to me that the, the, the Saints would return to relevance uh, as soon as they got a few breaks, and they got it this year. But they got so many breaks. I mean, it wasn't just the defense. I mean, who knew that they were going to lose their right tackle? Or they're gonna, they're, they were going to lose Toronto Armstead for about half the season. And when Toronto yep. Armstead was hurt – Zach Streif was healthy, so Ramchek could just flip back and forth between left and right tackle, which he can play both of, by the way, and he's a rookie. That's the type of stuff you can never understand. And whoever could have predicted that Alvin Kamara would be this? The Saints didn't predict that. So it really was just a perfect confluence of factors. They got everything right in a single offseason. And that's just impossible to predict. I mean, they got... I'm not even going to say it's lucky. I mean, they just hit it so well that everything managed to come together for them. Jeff Ireland, baby. <laughs> yeah, the Marshawn Lattimore thing. I mean, let's say Marshawn Lattimore doesn't fall to 11 or whatever. Let's say teams aren't worried about his shoulder or his, his hamstring. It was his hamstring, wasn't it? His like long, lifetime hamstring problems. Let's say people weren't concerned about that. And he goes sixth overall talent-wise like he should. This doesn't happen. You need all of everything to fall right for the Saints to have done what they did. And it just happened to for them up for one year. Yeah, they could easily win the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I'm just yes. pegging, I'm just pegging the Vikings as the favorites because a they're going to have the home games, and quite frankly, I'm I'm not optimistic that the Eagles are going to win their their divisional round game, which does one of two things: either they win their divisional round game and they get to play the Eagles on the road, which is fairly easy as it compared to what it would have been six weeks ago when they had Wentz or they get a home NFC championship game with the rights to have a home Super Bowl two weeks later. Either of those things sets up favorably just from an emotional standpoint. And then from a football standpoint, they've got an incredible defense. I love their coaches. I love what they're doing. You know, they have one of the best wide receiver tandems in the NFL. I I just, I'm really fired up about this Vikings team right now. Me too. I, I absolutely am. So back to rest very quickly before we get to our fourth topic here. So the Jaguars say they're going to play their guys. Those, everyone's yeah. going to start. They're going to play to win the game, which coming off that San Francisco loss, I don't think is the worst idea in the world. I, I kind of understand where you would do that. McVay has been very clear about guys are going to sit. Where do you fall on this? Do you think teams should, if they have very little to win, sit there, guys, in Week 17? Or do you understand a team like the Jags wanting to play out the string? So here's here's the way I view it. If you have an untouchable piece that if you lose it, you're screwed. You know, Carson Wentz is a good example. Sit him. You know, remember the the Colts used to just sit Peyton Manning in Week, you know, 17 and 16 under the Dungy era teams. I, if you ha- If you know if you lose a guy, it's over. 
you want to take as few chances as possible. Um, you know, I saw in Pittsburgh this week, they said that the killer bees probably aren't going to play uh, much, if at all. That's a good idea because if, if, if one if one of the killer bees gets hurt, uh, there goes the Super Bowl chance. But I think if you're a team like uh, like Jacksonville and you need, you know, you don't have that piece, first of all, um, you have you're more of a just a dominant unit. I think that they sort of need the momentum. They need the reps. You know, I, I'm I can see both sides of it. I don't think it ultimately matters all that much, but I just think the injury risk is too much, especially week 17. There's a lot of desperate guys in the field trying to get, um, especially from the other side of, uh, of the ball, try, guys trying to get you know their next contract or whatever, uh, making tackles harder than they normally would. So I, it's week 17 is kind of a weird space sometimes, and I don't blame teams for for resting absolute superstars. On the other hand, uh, you know if your if your team's already banged up, uh, you know it's time to rest them. So there's, there's a million reasons to sit them. There's a million reasons to play. Um, I coaches know more than I do. So I don't, I don't feel strongly either way on this particular topic. Yeah, I don't either. The, the only other thing to kind of consider this week is that I feel like the year-long awards races are so close this year that a big week 17 from guys that are playing and aren't may be enough to swing it, which I kind of don't, I don't enjoy. I don't like that. I feel like if Todd Gurley doesn't play on Sunday and Brady does, and Brady has a monster game, it should not affect Todd Gurley's MVP chances, but it probably will. Same goes for like Aaron Donald and the defensive player of the year. Like it kind of throws yeah. a wrench into that stuff in a season where it's all so, so close, which I don't really know how to consider that. I think that's tough. I feel like I would just kind of write week 17 off in that regard, but that's hard to do when everything's so tight. Yeah. Okay. Storyline number four. I have written about this four or five times now in this season, at least flicked at it and written one full story. But the coaching carousel in the NFL and how ridiculous it's gotten where where teams are just cashing out of coaches after two or three years. And it's created a weird situation where uh, the bench, the bench gets thinner because, you know, so many guys have been cycled through where, you know, basically, you know, they don't there's not even really a pool anymore. And it's created a very bizarre set of circumstances within the coaching world. Now, Albert Breer had a story, and Mike Florio had it a couple weeks ago, um, about the coaching carousel and what it's going to look like this year. And Breer put it all together this week. And there's a lot of jobs in the line, Robert, like a lot. And, and jobs we don't even think about. You know, he obviously there's there's Chicago and Indianapolis and all that, and the stuff that we absolutely know, Marvin Lewis is a good example. But, you know, if Vance Joseph loses on Sunday – he might get he might be one and done. It's something Mike Lombardi's been talking about for a while. Is Dirk Cutter gonna get fired? And is John Gruden gonna come in there? I don't know. I mean, it just seems like it seems like owners are more likely to fire a guy than not. And for me, I think Sunday's intriguing, not only for the playoffs, but because of to see how some of these guys whose jobs might be on the line, Jeff Dorio is a good example, uh, might perform and try to save their job. Who do you think is number one on that list? Who do you think has the most to gain job security wise with a win on Sunday? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, if I'm Vance Joseph, I'm gonna want to win on Sunday. Yeah, okay? I think he's like, number you're, one. You're, you're playing Patrick. You're playing Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs backups. Like, yeah, go ahead and win there, buddy. You're at home, so that's that's at least near the top. I'm not sure if Del Rio is winner in. I think that's more of a philosophical decision on where where these guys want to go. Is Jason Garrett? I, I don't even know what's going on there. 
It seems like Jerry's it, really going to die on this hill, man. I mean, he, he everything he said. Well, he, died, he died on the Wade Phillips hill like a year and a half too late, too. That's kind of Jerry's deal, it seems. It really Except with felt Jimmy like, Johnson. I mean, obviously, we should never Except take with Jimmy Johnson. I say at face, at, at, uh, at face value. But, I mean, he said on Monday that he has no interest in changing coaches. Which, who knows? That's not, yeah. That doesn't even sound like a vote of confidence. That sounds like Jerry being like, nah, I'm not doing this. Well, he said it's, he said it's not in their best interest right now. That doesn't mean yeah. he's not going to do it. Exactly. Man, Texans-Colts is kind of a ghost ship. <laughs> if I feel like what O'Brien did with Watson earlier this year has his job safe. That's my opinion on that. I mean, I that's could be not, wrong. That's, but That's not what the, the chattering classes say. That's fine. I mean, if, um, if, honestly, I, I think that team has so much talent when – with it, when they get healthy next year that I wouldn't mind them going a different direction and kind of getting a revamp. I mean, that's fine with me. I feel like that team can be really good. So uh, and uh, nothing that Bill O'Brien has done, especially offensively outside of the four weeks of magic with Deshaun Watson leads me to believe that he's necessarily the right guy to do it. So the Jeff Fisher thing is, is maybe my favorite thing of this season. It's pretty great. The four things of this year of 2017 that I'll remember five things. Number one is a Super Bowl. Number two is Dunkirk. Number three is the Nathan for you finale. Number four is Deshaun Watson against Seattle. And number five is Jeff Fisher calling into a radio station and taking credit for the Rams. Those are my top five of the year. It's not bad. I wasn't a Dunkirk guy, but I understand the list. It's okay. Wait, that's, that's for another pod. Yeah. I was on an airplane the other day and someone, I don't, it wasn't exactly clear what they did. They either tried to smoke a cigarette in the bathroom or they did some sort of fire situation that led to the fire alarm going off and the flight attendants screaming at them. Oh God. And it reminded me a little bit of the Jeff Fisher thing because I didn't know that that was something we considered anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not, I I didn't know that people were just like, I think I'm going to smoke on an airplane. I feel like that's the thing I'm going to do in 2017 and just see how it goes. And now all of a sudden you got this thing with Jeff Fisher and it's like, really? We're talking about hiring Jeff. I thought we'd pass that as humans. I guess not. Sorry, buddy. We're, we're regressing as a people, which I think Jeff Fisher is the biggest example of. It was Jeff Fisher, the guy who was smoking on an airplane. Oh, of course. Absolutely. He was trying to run, light it with a match. That's why there was so much fire. All right. Let's get going. <laughs> um, yeah. So who's your guy to watch as far as the carousel? Del Rio. Goes? I think that like whether yeah. they can put up a fight against that Chargers team that's trying to win, if they have two straight solid showings. I think that goes a long way in kind of him saying, I still have this team, everything else. We can make some changes elsewhere and kind of figure this out. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, time for my hottest take, I actually kind of believe. It, it involves this, this coaching carousel situation. And for me, in reading these stories, the one thing you notice is, A, how many openings there could be, and B, how few candidates are available. David Shaw... He might leave Stanford, but it would have to be an incredible offer in a, a team like the Giants or something, a stable organization that's going to give you a lot of money and, and, and already has some, some roster talent. I know the Giants may actually not be the perfect situation, but I'm just throwing out a, a good organization, right? And the more I read, the more I think that if you're a team on the fence about making a change, I think the absolute correct answer is to not make a change. Yes. If you're the Jets right now, and you've got Todd Bowles and Mike McCagnan, I think you have to just stick with... Todd Bowles was not bad this year, and you're not going to get better than him. You're going to be, be clear competing about this. with like... 
the the Jets coaching job this year was incredible. Let's not let's not go crazy here. The Jets should have won one game or zero based on the amount of talent they have on that team. The, the, what crazy. the Jets did offensively with Johnny Morton it is was excellent. That those guys one hundred percent should not lose their jobs. <laughs> uh, John Morton rules. I would actually hire John Morton as head coach. Who cares? Those guys should. They would abs- they should not, absolutely. Not in the not in the Jets. I want to be clear. I, I not in the Jets. I mean, someone should hire John Morton as head coach just because I like the way that offense looked. Yes, I mean they, they did a remarkable job. Anyway, that's a little. That, that wasn't your point, but I just wanted to make that clear. No, I, I I get you. I get you. No, what I'm saying is is that those sort of teams where it's like, oh, maybe we just need a fresh start or whatever. Don't do it. Yeah, I agree. don't do it because team teams are. Firing at an unprecedented rate, and you're going to be competing. What are you going to do? Hire maybe John DiFilippo. I mean, but there's so many guys. Give me a good example, right? Like Mike Pettin. Mike Pettin is basically a non-entity in football anymore. And he was hired. He was hired essentially because the Browns had nobody else to hire because they kept firing people, right? And that is happening throughout the league because guys are just getting cycled through and cycled through and cycled through because they're getting fired after two years. And eventually there's just no more guys. Is John Filippo a great, who, the quarterback coach in, in, in Philadelphia, is he a great candidate? Maybe. Or is he a candidate because, you know, there's just an altogether lack of candidates over the last four years? I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I'm not, I'm necessarily not. Um, criticizing him, he, he obviously did a great job with, with the quarterback play there. But it just it, it calls into question why certain guys are getting hired, and so you're not going to find Todd Bowles was a really good defensive coordinator and has shown that he can win at the NFL level. That is not true of a lot of guys who are candidates this cycle. So that's my hot take: don't fire guys if you can avoid it. I agree with that. And I think that we're all looking for McVay. And I think that I talked to Les Snead yesterday like, about some stuff with McVay. And he just said so many interesting things. I think that we want to make these mastermind guys, these special, like just a different, we want to make them the next guy. And in reality, it's not that element of who they are that makes them really good head coaches. And I think that that's yeah. just something that we don't think about all the time and we should. Yeah. All right, Robert, we've covered the big picture storylines for week 17, but what are we missing? I want to talk about, I mentioned this briefly in the rest thing. I feel like what's going to happen with defensive player of the year is kind of fascinating. Donald probably has it right now. I think he deserves it. They're, he's on a defense that's kind of defined the season in a way, a team that has. But if he doesn't play, the two guys looming in my mind are Cameron Jordan and Calais Campbell. And I think that Jordan is kind of in a similar boat. That Saints defense has been a huge storyline for a big chunk of the year because they've been so unexpected and they've played so well. If Cameron Jordan picks up two more sacks and he ends the year with 14 and, you know, that Saints defense is, you know, in the top 10, everything else. Or if, say, Campbell gets two sacks and a forced fumble, he has 16 and a half on the year. It's the number one defense in the league. I feel like the gap between them and Donald is small enough that one of them could win it this this week. And that's fascinating. I wrote about this for the ringer on Thursday. I think that race is more intriguing than it's been in years past. It's much closer. And the guys involved are all players that have really been integral parts of making the season interesting. So I think what those guys do on Sunday, I'm going to be, I'm going to be looking at it. I'm going to be watching it. I'm going to see what their production is because I think it absolutely could swing who wins that award. Yep. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And you know, I, I would 
give it to, to Donald as well. Um, I, I think that you saw Wade Phillips' comments yesterday. He's pretty much, we all agree, he's the best defensive player in the league on, on a talent basis. And I think that you just, you know, all of these awards are narrative awards. And we want to assign, obviously, I get McVay will get coach of the year, right? He should. <laughs> I mean, I don't, why wouldn't he? I mean, I guess. I guess. Yeah. And so, I mean, we just want to assign awards to, to the teams that impress us most. So I, I would, I would guess it would be Donald in that spot. Yeah. I would assume so as well, but I think that you could make an argument for one of those other guys just based on one huge week 17 and the seasons that they've had. Yep. Okay. Coming up, Danny Kelly is here to predict the fantasy football stars of tomorrow. And we'll predict the future as well with next week's headlines. That's coming up on the ringer NFL show, part of the ringer podcast network. Robert, we're in the thick of the holidays right now, and a lot of people's wallets are already empty. Yeah, they should have laid down some cash on their sports predictions on my bookie to make some extra money for the holidays. Yeah, if you're not betting on my bookie, you're blowing it. They have every imaginable betting option and the fastest payouts in the biz. My bookie is the only site we recommend because they have odds on every matchup and a mobile site that lets you bet from wherever you are during the holidays. Plus, you can get a 50% match on any deposit you make if you use our promo code RINGERNFL. Check out mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Time to welcome in Danny Kelly, our fantasy football king. You're the king, Danny. How are you, bud? <laughs> hey, thanks, Kevin. I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? I'm great. Fantasy football is over for most people. We, we know that. Yep, um, yep. So the true fanatics... That's who we're appealing to. They want to know next year's 2018 sleeper picks. Now, obviously, there's a lot of lot of moving parts with that, but we're, we're going to yeah. give it our best shot. These are Danny's future Dark Knights. Danny, it actually says Danner now in the script. <laughs> yes. Man, well, that's a good sign. It's caught on. You've you've made that happen. By the way, my high school friends are super excited that you have decided to start calling me Danner. <laughs> this is amazing. All right, Danny, hit us. <laughs> All right, so this guy actually almost made the list this year in terms of the Dark Knights, and that's uh, Demir Murd for the Panthers. I mean, he showed up in a big time late in the season, kind of had some big plays for them. He is ridiculously fast i actually i didn't realize this i just looked it up but he ran a 427 at his pro day back in 2015 with a 42 inch vert 6593 cone like he is extremely athletic he is sparked up if you will kevin hell um, yeah hell yeah <laughs> so um and this is actually kind of a fun little tie back to running joke we had all year he, he uh, to me he feels like a guy that could be like the 10 ted ginn in that offense um, oh boy you know Newton, he's he's always going to be sort of a low percentage passer. He's he, I don't know, um, you know, if he's ever going to get to where he wants to be in terms of completion percentage, but he does have a strong arm. Not afraid to put put the ball downfield, and um, I think Bird could be kind of the beneficiary of that next year. So I could see him show up on a couple sleeper lists as we get closer to next season. Yeah, he also he didn't he didn't really have a role early in the season because Distel had Benjamin and he got hurt in October. I didn't realize he was hurt for yeah. most of the season. He was hurt for two months. And so he only came he off on the reserve in December. Yeah. So that's, he's interesting. I feel like he had a role in that offense when he was healthy. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Curtis Samuel, Samuel. And I don't know if their if their roles overlap or whatever, but to me, he's just proven that he's a, he's a big time playmaker. And he's also, he could feature in the return game as well. Um, I just think they'll they'll really want to use his speed, his ability to separate. Like we've talked about it a couple of times this year. The, the Panthers coming into this year just didn't have a lot of ability to separate as receivers. And so 
Um, I think that that could be a reason he's he's a bigger part of their offense next year. Totally. Who's next? My second guy is another really really good athlete. This is Chris Godwin of the the Buccaneers. Um, he he again he showed up kind of late in the year in that offense. I think he started in in place of Mike Evans one week. He had two starts on the year, and in those two starts, he had eight catches for 166 yards. I mean, he's a big guy, good size, good hands, really good speed, deep speed. Um, and the thing that really shows up kind of on tape is that he, he catches contested passes really well. Like he, yeah. like five or six of his catches this year were just in traffic. And so, uh, he, that's big, I think just for the Panther or for the, uh, for the Buccaneers in, in general, just because of the way that Jameis Winston plays the way he passes, not afraid to kind of throw the ball into traffic and play that hero ball style of football. So. Uh, I think that Godwin could be a guy that, again, he kind of starts to work his way more into the offense next year, um, and and his off his athleticism could show up. So he's a guy to keep in mind. I agree. I, I think that his he's a little bit redundant with Deshaun, unfortunately, in terms of like the deep right. option. And I don't know how well they fit together. I think that was kind of a luxury pick that they had to make because he was so good in college. But talent wise, I love him. I think he. You're right. His ability to go get the ball downfield is remarkable. Who's next? All right, we got Marlon Mack. I mean, he's he's a name that people already know, but yeah. I'm kind of looking at Colts players next year as you could probably get a few of them on discount just based on the way that things went this season. And and depending, obviously, on what happens with Andrew Luck next year, um, if he's back, then the Colts offense takes a big jump forward. And I think that, I mean, Mack to me was just an explosive play waiting to happen every time he touched the football. I mean, he made some rookie mistakes. And I don't know if Pagano ever really trusted him, you know, in pass pro and that kind of thing. He didn't get as many snaps as I think a lot of people wanted him to get. But he he's just really explosive, elusive guy. I mean, we saw on Christmas against the Ravens, he had a couple of plays where he was breaking tackles and, and picking up big yards. And uh, I think he's just an exciting player for the future. I've, obviously, this year wasn't a huge season for him, but I, and people know his name because of some of the plays he made. So. He's another guy that I think he'll he'll be like a mid rounder next year, probably depending on how it all shakes out. But he could end up, you know, earning a pretty big role in that offense. They're just going to be better by virtue of luck being there too, like you said. But we'll see what happens with uh, what's his name, Muhort. I mean, their their best offensive lineman and in, in the interior is a free agent. So it's just like one more mm-hmm. thing that hurts their running game, even if luck comes back. I mean, that team never seems to get it all together at the same time. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, uh, it also matters who the coach is going to be. Yep, correct. It's going to be Jeff Fisher. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, all right. Keep going, Danner. All right. So fourth guy. And this guy, he he, he really didn't what do What was that? No, Danny, a, are you in a Formula One track? What was that? That was, that was, not, that that was, was, that was outside my hotel room door. <laughs> that was not me. That was a motorcycle on the highway. <laughs> oh, I was wondering if you guys heard that. That was funny. Yes, um, I did. I'm sitting right here. <laughs> All right. Speaking of speeding motorcycles, I'm going to go with Tion Green of the Lions. Um, he he was, you know, he's a bigger guy, six foot two twenty. Um, the Lions have less than anything that resembles a run game, so maybe this is me grasping at straws. But I thought he was really impressive in the the limited action that he got late in the season. Um, he averaged four and a half yards per carry, four four point four yards per carry. Scored a couple of touchdowns, and I mean that's for a Lions team that averaged a league low three point four yards per per carry this year, and I don't know if they've had a hundred yard rusher since the eighties or, or whatever. So, you know, it, it's a bit of a projection, but I think if they decide to, if the lions decide to finally commit to a run game, finally start to do anything on the ground, I think Tion green could kind of work his way into that rotation because 
I mean, he was breaking tackles. He looks like a physical kind of between the between the tackles runner that they need. Obviously, Abdullah never kind of turned into that guy. And so, yeah, he he was in limited quantities. He he was really impressive to me. I think that if they don't draft a running back in the third or fourth round, then it's malpractice. That's the only thing I could <laughs> yeah. see kind of throwing a wrench into this is that you can't look at that roster and say, we don't need a running back in those rounds. I feel like they have to pick one at some point. So that's the only thing I would say that could kind of screw that up. Oh, yeah. It could definitely be thrown all out of whack. Hey, Maze, guess what? Huh? Adam Shepard just tweeted the Jets have extended the contracts of Todd Bowles and Mike McCagnan. There we go. Look at that. They Good listened They listened to our pod before it even came up. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Who's your last guy, Danny? Don't stop now, Danny. It's your last dark night. <laughs> Leave it all on the field, buddy. All right. My final guy is Trent Taylor for the 49ers. You know, they're, they're uh shifty little slot receiver. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and use as many... Uh, you know, just white receiver tropes as possible in there this you description. Go. <laughs> but, but he is, I mean, he's, he's a, he's undersized guy, five nine, one seventy eight. but he caught a million passes at, at Louisiana tech. And he's kind of turned into a, you know, reliable guy for Garoppolo over the middle of the field on that catch on that touchdown pass. You know, I, I, a lot of people were talking about Garoppolo's sidearm submarine throw, which was really awesome. Um, but I think Taylor made a really good play on that too, in terms of, you know, he 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 ran his route. It didn't happen. He he improvised from there. He kind of came back across the field, saw the defense, and then swung back around and went back towards the sideline and and got himself open. So um, on plays like that, I think you know having a guy that you trust and, and have chemistry with, I think that could be huge for them. And I just you know, Maze, I know that you're expecting the same thing. Like the 49ers offense has just it can just go up, and 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 I think it could be a lot better next year. And so getting in on some of the some of the guys that could be you know featured part of the, this offense next year could be good. How that wide receiving core shakes out is fascinating to me because yeah, if you look at absolutely. what Shanahan's had in the past, he hasn't really had that traditional slot guy. On the, I mean, like the Falcons didn't have that. They had Gabriel Sanu and Jones. So I think that when Garcon comes back and you have Garcon and Goodwin, and then I assume they'll go get a number one. I mean, there's a in free agency, you can get one. Sammy Watkins is there. You know, Allen Robinson's there. So that guy is out there, and they may draft one. So how those guys shake out, if they use Goodwin in the slot on some of those Taylor Gabriel routes, I don't know how the snaps and the workload is going to shake out when that is a full stable of guys. But I totally agree that Taylor is a part of this offense. I think he's going to give them something unique. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that because I know you studied you know, Shanahan's offense last year pretty pretty closely. And I, did They ran kind of a lot of two-receiver sets, didn't they? Like They were sort of a heavier personnel team no they they'll get four out there it's just that they use a lot of different personnel and i don't think yeah. their slot receiver is a traditional slot receiver i mean they've used guys that are more speed options in that role and also julio used to play inside so it's not he's just never had that guy i mean i think he has in the past i mean if you look at those redskins teams i don't know i can't remember who exactly was there but at least in atlanta if that's the blueprint they didn't have a traditional slot guy you know, they use the yeah. running backs out there a lot. So, you know, there's a chance it's just personnel. He didn't have that. But I also think that his offense has succeeded without that option. And it's Taylor's a fifth round pick. You know, he's not like this. Oh, we drafted him in the second round. He's going to be a part of the plan. I totally, think he totally. is a useful, interesting piece. But I don't know if when they built that receiving core the way they want to, where he fits into it. Yeah, that, that, and that's a great caveat. So, I mean, that's something definitely to keep in mind. And I, I kind of was thinking that too, but he just impressed me over the last couple of weeks. So had to throw him in there. But yeah, that, that's, a, that's a really good point. Danny, how are you feeling on the Seahawks this weekend? Oh, man. I mean, I think that they'll be okay. Uh, the, the Cardinals have played pretty well up here in Seattle. And so that, that's, you know, a factor. But I think, I think they're, you know, they, they kind of reset and, and 
figured their figured their shit out a little bit based on the Rams game, but um, I mean they're still just such a hit and miss team at this point. And they need the they need the uh, Falcons to lose in order to make the playoffs. So it's gonna be kind of pins and needles this Sunday, guys. Good luck, buddy. I'm I'm thinking about you. Don't Fire worry. Up. I'm here for you. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. All right, bud. We'll talk to you next thanks, week, Danny. All right, sounds good. All right, Robert, when the dust settles from week 17, what will be next week's biggest headlines? Start us off. I think we talked about the coaches. Obviously, that'll be a topic of conversation. Yeah. To me, it's going to be, depending on who gets those wild cards, I think, trying to build the upset. You know, if Atlanta wins big against Carolina, like, here come the Falcons. If the Seahawks have a nice win and they get in, it's, can the Seahawks knock off whoever? I think that's what we're going to be, obviously, because the biggest teams are not playing in the in the wild card round. So I think trying to build a case and get excited for some of these lesser wild card teams, you know, gearing up to make a run. I know that's at least what I'm going to be thinking about. And I feel like other people will be chatting about that as well. Totally agree. I mean, I, I just think it's pretty obvious. It's just going to be the setup for a great playoffs. And I think yeah. in the AFC, it's two very different things. We flicked at this earlier, but in the AFC, it almost feels ordained that barring a Jaguars, Jaguars, complete performance that we're going to see Pittsburgh and New England in the James Harrison Bowl. And in the NFC, it's anything goes. And I think I kind of like the contrasting styles there where, um, you know, we're going to be able to see two very different playoffs at the same time. I'm fired up about it. And that's it. We know what it looks like as of Monday. Yeah, it's going to be fun. This is going to be a really just great weekend of football. I can't wait. Yep. Awesome, man. All right. Well, we'll be back to discuss all of this on Tuesday and get you ready for the playoffs. As always, thanks for listening to the Ringer NFL show on the Ringer Podcast Network. Thanks, guys.